Welcome to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio, sponsored by EarthX, the world's largest environmental experience, and also sponsored by Natural Awakenings Magazine. Live your healthiest life on a healthier planet. Now here's your host, Bernice Butler. Welcome to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio today. We're now nearing the end of our third season, but we are still just as excited as ever to continue to help you explore and understand that unbreakable relationship between your health and the health of the planet. Here we look at the hottest topics related to our environment and its sustainability and how they affect your health and wellness. Here are issues like climate change, plastic pollution, extreme weather events, and others will meet up with everyday impacts like allergies and asthma, digestive issues and gut health, cancers, lung and heart issues, and more. So listen in today as we talk about the intersection of chemicals and toxic materials and climate change. Now, when we say or use the term climate change, the the first thing that pops into your heads is probably not the impact of toxic chemicals on the environment. Some people can probably name a chemical that they've heard of that that contributes to climate change, whether that be carbon dioxide or methane. But what about the many, many other chemicals that we're not familiar with that are surrounding us? So, yes, chemicals do contribute directly to climate change, and that's important. But this interplay is not the only consequence of mixing chemicals and climate change. There's a lot more going on. Climate change is altering how toxic chemicals impact our health and the health of the environment. And what this means for us is that as the world warms, reducing Our exposure to toxic chemicals becomes more and more important each and every day. And caring about toxic chemicals and their impact can help us minimize the impact of climate change, believe it or not. And toxic chemicals do have a very significant effect on how climate change can impact you, me, and the world. And these impacts compound as more and more chemicals are produced or used. In 1970, the United States produced 50 million tons of synthetic chemicals. And in 1995, that number tripled to about 150 million tons. And today that number continues to just increase and increase. And very few of these tens of thousands of chemicals in our marketplace are fully tested for health hazards, and we're exposed to these chemicals in different ways, different quantities, and different mixtures. And over a lifetime, the small exposures add up every day and in varying degrees. Between climate change and toxic chemicals, it could be easy to just push that whole toxic chemical thing to the side as a someday or a later on problem and choose to tackle climate change first. And that's because you don't hear uh, as much news about toxic chemicals as we do of necessity about climate change. But the truth is that the impacts of toxic chemicals are real and they're happening today and they'll only get worse 
in this warming world of ours. Now, these two issues are definitely connected, and they influence each other's outcomes. Climate change can have a big impact on the world, but caring about toxic chemicals can reduce the negative consequences that climate change does and will have on chemicals and consequently on all of us. Now, some of the ways uh, that climate change and chemical pollution are interlinked are that chemical pollution can make species that are already struggling due to climate change even more vulnerable. That's animal species and us as well. Climate change can increase the impacts of chemical pollution, and climate change is amplifying the release of hazardous chemicals in the environment. And then the chemical industry is also responsible for high levels of greenhouse gas emissions in their industry and their industrial as well as their manufacturing processes. So rising temperatures, extreme weather events, melting sheets of ice, rising sea levels, all of these are proven features of climate change and they have the potential to amplify the release and the impacts of chemical pollutants in our environment and thus on us. Now, the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights recently said reducing the load of hazardous chemicals in our daily lives and the wider environment is critical to lowering the overall burden of stress to which people and wildlife are currently being exposed in these times of our climate crisis. And chemical contaminants in our environment affect humans both directly as well as indirectly. Direct toxic effects range from acute poisonings all the way to triggering acute events like heart attacks and, and asthma attacks to chronic effects like cancer and suppressed immune systems. And indirect effects include changes in the health risk associated with changes in our food supply and water sources as a result of chemical contamination. And because of persistence, as well as the movement or the mobility of toxic chemicals in the environment are affected by things like weather conditions, such as temperature, our precipitation, and wind, then changes in these processes that we're seeing every day are associated with climate change, and they have implications for human exposures. And that's what we want to talk about today. And that's a lot to talk about. But here today, to help us unpack this and explore some of this, are three experts uh, and on-the-ground people with all of this. We have with us Daria Minovi. And Daria is a public health advocate, and she's passionate about environmental justice and the use of research to inform policymaking. Daria previously served as a senior policy analyst at the Center for Progressive Reform, where she assessed the impacts of unregulated pollution on communities, uh, particularly in the face of the worsening climate crisis. Daria has a master's of public health in environmental health at Harvard University. Welcome, Daria. And did I get all of that right? Yes, and the public health degree was correct. Thank you so much for carving out time to be with us. Our next guest is Jacob Carter. Jacob is the research director for the Center for Science and Democracy at the Union of Concerned Scientists. And they are very good friends of our show in that they're on with us each of our seasons, uh, hopefully more than one time we try anyway. Dr. Carter investigates how science is used in the policymaking process, and he focuses on issues of scientific integrity across the federal government. 
Prior to joining the Union of Concerned Scientists, Jacob worked at the Environmental Protection Agency at Oak Ridge Institute for Science and Education as a postdoctoral fellow. And at the EPA, he integrated the effects of climate change into estimates of future coastal inundation on contaminated land, such as brownfields and Superfund sites. Uh, and he did that work in order to help guide decisions on adaptation efforts that could better protect nearby communities from the spread of dangerous contaminants during future floods, like what we experienced here in Texas, in Houston, not too long ago with Harvey. Welcome, Jacob. Did I get all of that right? That's all right. Thanks for having me, Bernice. And thank you for making time to be with us today. And our other guest is Lynn Lafferty. Lynn is a pharmacist. Uh, she's a naturopathic doctor, a diplomat of the American Clinical Board of Nutrition. She is a master herbalist, and she is an endowed professor and assistant clinical professor at Nova Southeastern University College of Pharmacy there in Fort Lauderdale. And Lynn has a functional clinical nutrition and herbal therapy practice at NOVA in their clinic pharmacy. And her research is focused on natural medicine and supplementation therapy. And she's currently conducting research on antibiotic resistance and natural immune builders. Welcome, Lynn. Did I get all of that right? Yes. And I also was, I'm a former board member of the American Academy of Environmental Medicine. Indeed, that's where we first met Lynn, and she was one of our early guests. And uh, they do some amazing work, and that really does help to inform her work there at NOVA by connecting that with the environmental factors. So again, all three of you all, we really appreciate you being uh, with us and taking time for us today. Now, I want to start uh, my questioning off with Daria, and this will just be for a minute because we only have a minute to go before we go to break, but we'll reconnect with you on the other side, Daria. But so, Daria, you have expertise in public health and environmental health. Can you discuss for our listeners what this means? How is public health affected by environmental health? And then we'll talk about the other on the other side of the break. Absolutely. So environmental health is a key aspect of public health because it's looking at how our environment impacts our health um, and considering how exposure to various agents through inhalation, through consumption, through touch or other contact can impact populations. And toxic chemicals are a core aspect of environmental health, uh, particularly today as we're learning about how ubiquitous certain chemicals are in our everyday life. Take PFAS, for example, um, which are a class of chemicals often called forever chemicals because of how persistent they are in our environment. And lately, it feels like almost every day we're seeing a new study about finding these chemicals in our water, in our household products, in our cookware, like Teflon. So environmental health is something we can't escape because it impacts our everyday life. Indeed. And we'll talk more about that. But I wanted to start out of the the shoot trying to give our our, our listeners an understanding of the the growing importance uh, and maybe urgency to some degree of environmental health and certainly the interconnectedness of environment and health, which, of course, is what Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio is about. We'll be right back on the other side of the break with our, our guest, Daria Minovi. Jacob Carter, and Lynn Lafferty. Thank you all for being with us. We'll be right back. 
We want to give a shout out now to our sponsors. That is Natural Awakenings, Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex Magazine, the Green, Healthy, and Sustainable Living Authority for the DFW Metroplex and North Texas communities. Print issues of Natural Awakenings can be found in all Whole Foods grocers, Natural Grocers, Central Markets, Sunflower Shops, and many, many other locations, as well as available free for download online at nadallas.com. Our other sponsor is North Haven Gardens, serving the Metroplex since 1951, the most respected horticultural establishment in North Texas, offering gardening and plant education, concierge services, DYI classes, gifts, and more. Check them out at NHG.com. And our other sponsor is Lynn Dental Care. Practicing dentistry for over 38 years with a holistic approach, looking at the whole body and non-mercury. Specializing in periodontics, Dr. Lynn is board certified by the International Academy of Oral Medicine and Toxicology. Check them out at LynnDentalCare.com. Thank you, sponsors. Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio, to today's show on the intersection of chemicals and toxic materials and climate change. And we are back with some very special guests who are helping us unpack this and really understand this a lot more. We are back with Daria Minovi, who is a public health advocate in environmental health. We're back with Jacob Carter with the Union of Concerned Scientists. And we're back with Dr. Lynn Lafferty, practicing pharmacist and clinical pharmacist, as well as naturopath and nutrition expert and herbalist. So we've got some really well-rounded expertise to really help us understand what is not an uncomplex Area Now, before the break, uh, Daria was explaining to us the importance, really, of environmental health in public health. And, and so, Daria, I want you to continue to talk to us, though, more about how public health is affected by environmental health and where do chemicals and toxic materials and their intersection with climate change intersect with environmental health? Absolutely. So any one of us can be exposed to chemicals in our everyday life, whether it's the plastic packaging that's around your vegetables that you're going to cook for dinner, in the nail polish that you put on, um, in the cookware that you're using. And so environmental health is something that we deal with on a daily basis because the chemicals that exist in our environment, and whether it's in our homes or in our communities, can impact us. And one thing that we like to talk about in this um, field is the idea of cumulative effects, where one exposure might not have an adverse impact on your health, but small amounts of different exposures over time can impact your health, particularly, particularly if you have other sensitivities and other health concerns. So uh, with environmental health, within the public health space, we're looking at trying to eliminate um, and decrease these exposures and hazards on a grand scale to in- ensure that folks can have a better chance of um, overcoming these exposures and not having adverse health effects down the line. And where climate change comes into play is that uh, particularly in the role it might have in increasing our exposure to toxic chemicals, particularly during extreme weather events. So say you're living in a coastal community um, that's prone to hurricanes and flooding, um, and there is a severe flood like we saw during uh, during Hurricane Harvey in 2017, and the storm surge or flooding can cause 
um, chemicals that are in the soil, um, if there are spills, chemical spills at industrial facilities or explosions, all of that sort of becomes can become sort of a toxic soup uh, that people can be exposed to through contact with floodwaters, inhaling gases that are emitted. So um, it's a really significant concern, uh, particularly when you've got extreme weather. Thank you. And I want to shortly I want to jump over to Lynn for her to drill down a bit on some of the public health things that you mentioned to individual health. But before I do that, I want to go to Jacob to tell us more about those, some of these chemicals that we're exposed to. Jacob, what would you say or what do you see out there as the most prevalent chemicals in our world today that are causing, driving, or otherwise affecting climate change and how so? Yeah, well, I think, you know, um, what Daria was pointing to in terms of chemicals that can be that are essentially housed by various facilities and are at risk by extreme weather are a particular concern. So, for example, you know, Daria mentioned Hurricane Harvey, and we know that impacted a Superfund site, which is a site that houses um, some of the most dangerous chemicals known to humankind, uh, was impacted by what, Hurricane what's Harvey. What's the name of that site? Fact, what site? What, what, what's the name of that site? The San Jacinto Waste is the name of the Superfund site. Um, And it it was actually breached, um, and it released chemicals known as dioxins. And dioxins are one of those chemicals that if you're exposed to them, um, they are known to cause cancer. So those are, you know, particular chemicals that you do not want to um, be around. I mean, some of these other sites um, that are at risk of extreme weather um, include volatile organic compounds, polychlorinated biphenyls. And if you go to the EPA's um, public information page, you can read all about how these chemicals affect human health. Most of them are probable cancer-causing agents. Um, The polychlorinated biphenyls that I mentioned um, can affect your immune system. They can affect your reproductive system, your nervous system, your endocrine system. I'm sorry, Jacob, where do those polybiphenols you were describing, what are they? What do they come from? How do we help us better understand? They're usually a product of industry, so they're usually industrial waste. Um, So, for example, those um, dioxins that I mentioned um, that were leaked out of the San Jacinto waste tent were waste that came from a a former paper mill. So areas that are around a lot of current or perhaps even legacy or shut down industrial facilities are really, really at risk. They are, especially when they're on coastal communities. So something that my group has studied a lot is how sea level rise is factory into these extreme events. Because as you might imagine, around coastal communities, if you have these hazardous facilities that are located around the, the coast and you have sea levels that are rising, the floods that used to occur in those areas are going to be even more extreme because the water is just higher. And so that presents a definite uh, vulnerability to these hazardous facilities because if floods are going to increase, that means what they were built to withstand in the past to resist sort of these flood heights, they're going to need to be adapted to withstand even higher flood heights in the future. Indeed, and we're just having floods, floods everywhere, even in places that may not be historically 
flood prone. And then there's the other issue. It's like one year it's a flood. The, ne- the, 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 the big weather, the big extreme weather incidences are floods. The next year they become tornadoes. Next year they could be hurricanes. Or some years we have all of them and then add to fire. So we've got a lot to deal with. And uh, later on, though, in the show before we go, I, I definitely want to address how are we dealing with the futures that we know are in our near future? Because we know that weather events are getting more extreme. So we know we're going to have these extreme things. So what are we doing or how are we dealing with the impact on, on communities and the environmental health threats that we know are coming? So, But we'll talk about that a little bit l- later on. I want to get now, though, to Lynn, because I want to talk about, again, drilling down in terms of, I guess, personal health the impacts of what we of toxic chemicals and manifestation. In other words, what are the health impacts or manifestations of toxic chemicals and materials that you see on individual health in your practice and your research? Well, I think for me, I, you know, I, um, I'm in my early 60s and um, I'm around my students who are in their 20s. Um, the level of illness in the young is just, overwhelming to me. I have to tell the students, you know, when I was your age, no one was obese when they were little. There wasn't these autoimmune diseases. No one had type 2 diabetes, yet probably about a million, you know, below 20 have it today. So it just goes on and on. And uh, one of the things that concerns me is all of the uh, waste from the use or the dumping of pharmaceuticals in our water and that effect that it has. One of the things I see, because I'm seeing so many young people with rheumatoid arthritis and MS and all these things that were unheard of uh, in someone's 20s or 30s, the one thing they all seem to have in common, which would be a, a, maybe a partner with the public health person here, is um, they all had took multiple antibiotics when they were children, which kills your good gut flora. Um, and what happens is 80% of your immune system is in your GI tract. So it um, opens you up to all sorts of, um, you know, infections and autoimmune conditions and that type of thing. And any, there's, you know, looking at the studies, um, there's many antibiotics also that show up in our water. Um, fortunately, a lot of the farmers have gotten it out of the animals. To, um, I was very excited because there's a lot of really good research on oregano oil now. And uh, because the pig farmers are feeding that to their animals in lieu of feeding um, the antibiotics to them, which we know uh, is, causes antibiotic resistance. And uh, before COVID, people were saying, the WHO was saying that was the number one health crisis in the world uh, was antibiotic resistance. I, that, that is hardening that farmers are, uh, have become attuned to some of the natural health uh, remedies, which tend to be natural <laughs> and not toxic. So that's exciting. And, and I was concerned that maybe there'd be resistance with oregano oil because it's very powerful antimicrobial. Um, but there's not. As a matter of fact, it actually, uh, in the studies they showed with the pigs, which is the closest genetically to a human, is they showed that it actually helps repair 
the GI tract and kill some of the bad microbes. So um, that was uh, was good. And then also, you know, it's funny, a lot of us that are in the Academy of Environmental Medicine, the doctors, it are we have environmental issues ourselves. So I have a SNP, as they call it, on my with some of the detoxifications that need to take place with myself. And so uh, the liver and the detoxification process becomes very important. Indeed. I hate to, to stop you, but we've got to go to break. But we'll be back with you on the other side talking about some of the health components and interconnected activities as it relates to uh, the toxins in our environment. Thank you. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio today to our show on the intersection of chemicals and toxic materials and climate change. And we are back with Daria Minovi, who is a public health advocate uh, and has expertise in environmental health as it relates to public health. We have with us Dr. Jacob Carter, who's with the Union of Concerned Scientists, and Dr. Lynn Lafferty, a practicing pharmacist and naturopath at Nova Southwestern University. Uh, Again, thank you all for for being with us. And before the break, though, we were with uh, Lynn, who was telling us about some of the, the, the health impacts and some of the research she had, she had looked at in, in terms of the manifestations of toxic chemicals and, and materials on individual health. And, and, and so what I want to ask you, Lynn, is there something that's shouting out at your profession, particularly the naturopathic, natural medicine, and holistic and integrative professionals? Is there something that's shouting out at them in recent years of an issue that they may be seeing that either is clearly or perhaps suspected to be uh, from an environmental health cause? Yeah, I mean, I think there's so many things. Uh, (laughs) It's unbelievable because these plastics are also uh, from water bottles and things, especially if any plastics exposed to light, the nanoparticles, very difficult. It's not impossible to get rid of and uh, all sorts of chemicals. I know there's one man won a lawsuit who worked around pesticides uh, because of his cancer. You know, toxins like to hide in fat. So fatty tissues like your brain, nervous system, all of those things are going to be affected if you're not able to detoxify those chemicals out of the body. But you know, a lot of information now, the gut-brain connection, everybody hears. The gut is so important, especially to our immune system. Um, and, you know, interesting how maybe we didn't understand how come some people uh, may have passed from COVID and then others didn't when they, they were, when, they, when they were young, you know, a young person, why did this happen? And we don't really look at the environmental impact of their ability not to be able to detoxify and having, um, a poor diet, or if they have a poor GI system, the nutrients they need didn't get absorbed. I mean, I, I can go on and on. There's so many issues when it comes to the environment. And unfortunately, it's not something that most doctors learn about. Um, I had a young 
woman who was a student and she came in dragging and I said, you know, is something wrong? She said, Dr. Lafferty, I've been to 25 hospitals and I have been on oxycodone since I was 12 years old. And I'm like, wow. And she said, I'm so sick. I've got pain. Nobody could ever figure out why. So I said, we had an appointment. And I said, well, um, what does your father do? UPS driver said, really? I could swear you were around farm chemicals. I asked people, do you live in a farm area or whatever? And she said, oh, well, we've had a landscaping business for, um, and I helped my father since I was two years old. I mean, so she had all those chemical exposures. And she said, well, why does my brother not have this? Well, we're each individual. You're not able to detoxify like your brother. Plus, women have a lot more fat in their body, and those those chemicals are fat-soluble, and they stay in the fat. I want to I sit for just a minute on detoxification and detox. Uh, I think that's so important and relevant. And, and from what I've seen, um, uh, people may not take it as seriously as it should be or realize its impact. Uh, it's simply you get detox is getting toxins out. And a lot of the toxins that you're getting out are some of these things we've been talking about and, so, and that we're going to talk about in a minute. And, and, and I, that's what I wanted to bring together because you see on the shelf, oh, detox this, detox this. And so I think maybe it's the whole process, the term, and its significance to people is, is way under, underestimated. And so it's really a process yeah. of getting some of these toxic chemicals out of your body because, as you mentioned, uh, and we don't, still don't know the full effect of how they can build up within us. That's correct. I want to go now to uh, Jacob and talk a little bit, though, about how things have been trending over the years in, in terms of more and more toxic chemicals coming into our environment. But at the same time, we know more about them and have the ability anyway to mitigate if we will. So how are we trending? Things getting better or worse? Are there more or less toxic chemicals and materials now affecting the environment and affecting climate change than 20 years ago or less? Yeah, that's a a really good question. I would say that the risk of climate-related disasters at toxic facilities and the potential release of those toxic contaminants is getting worse and worse. So... This is now the seventh consecutive season that the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration has said we are going to have an above-average hurricane season um, in the Atlantic. And that means there's going to be more risk for coastal flooding, more risk for dangerous winds to potentially lead to some sort of catastrophic situation where contaminants are released into nearby communities. And it's not just hurricanes, right? It's wildfires, it's extreme heat, it's all of the climate change effects, which all present these increased risks. Most of the folks that are going to be affected by these releases are communities of color, low-income communities, most underserved communities, right? So not everybody is equally affected across the United States. Well, not yet, and in some components, and that's we want to talk about that a little bit later, too. But what I, I'm wondering... They know it's the Atlantic hurricane season, and, and, and I've lived in Miami for a number of years, so I know how that, that, that affects them. So we know it's coming. 
Are we preparing or is maybe the federal government or the EPA sending out notices that during this hurricane season that's going to be particularly overactive, you need to lock down and do something to mitigate ABC Superfund site, DEF potential site? Because the sites are known, the weather is known. Yeah, there's still a lot of work to be done, um, unfortunately. Um, And a lot of that was sort of... uh, delayed and uh, a lot of good policy was unfortunately rescinded on climate change by the prior uh, administration. So that work is now having to be picked back up and rethought. But, um, you know, I think the Environmental Protection Agency um, in particular, who oversees a lot of the um, hazardous facility management, um, and is responsible for incorporating climate change into plans hasn't really got there yet. So it's not even required that the Superfund sites, when they go through their cleanup plans, have to consider climate change. You see it in some of the cleanup plans, but that is done on sort of a case-by-case basis. But we have no federal policy that mandates that these facilities have to incorporate climate change. And that's also it makes... All of us here, as well as hopefully our audience, too, realize the benefit of a lot of the advocates who work in the community, because it's the community who's going to be affected. And if, if there's not legislators and laws that are going to help them, they, too, need to realize and understand, which we hope conversations like this are, are beneficial uh, to that end, but they need to understand that there is a possibility for that uh, Superfund site or other site that's dangerous that's down the road from them, maybe 5 or 10 or 15 or 20 miles, that with this hurricane coming up or this tornado coming up or flood, that there's the opportunity, the great opportunity, for that to flood and contaminate everything about and around them. That's absolutely correct. And I I think it's also important for any scientists on the call listening to understand that as well. And to, you know, hop on and help out these communities who are, um, you know, already overburdened um, and really could use the help of researchers and scientists. So if you are a scientist listening, definitely learn how to work within your community and help them out. And we've just got a a couple of minutes to go um, before we go and break. And I want to continue this this conversation and have more conversation before our time is done about how most many, at least environmental issues, are beginning to spread out from those vulnerable communities. And the vulnerable communities remain the most ill-prepared or, or, or least prepared to deal with it. But nevertheless, the, the effects of the issues are beginning to spread out. So I appreciate y'all with us. We're going to go to break now and we will be back for more of this stimulating conversation. We have been with Daria Minovi, a public health environmental health advocate, Jacob Carter with the Union of Concerned Scientists and Dr. Lynn Lafferty with Nova Southwestern University. We'll be right back on the other side of the break. We want to give a shout out now to our sponsors. That is Natural Awakenings, Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex Magazine, The Green Healthy and Sustainable Living Authority for the DFW Metroplex and North Texas communities. Print issues of Natural Awakenings can be found in all Whole Foods markets, natural grocers, central markets, sunflower shops, and many, many other locations, as well as available free for download online at nadallas.com. 
Our other sponsor is North Haven Gardens, serving the Metroplex since 1951, the most respected horticultural establishment in North Texas, offering gardening and plant education, concierge services, DIY classes, gifts, and more. Check them out at NHG.com. And our other sponsor is Lynn Dental Care, practicing dentistry for over 38 years with a holistic approach, non-mercury, looking at the whole body. Specializing in periodontics, Dr. Lynn is board certified by the International Academy of Oral Medicine and Toxicology. Check them out at lynndentalcare.com. Thank you, sponsors. Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio, to today's show on the intersection of toxic chemicals and hazardous waste with climate change and all of it is affecting us. And we are back with three very smart people who are lending us some of that smart in terms of the the very pervasive impact that toxic chemicals and materials in our environment all around us have on us and our health. So again, thank you all for being with us. Now, before we went on break, Jacob was telling us about trends, but one of the things I'm dying to ask, Jacob, is this. We talked about, or at least we mentioned, how that the chemicals build up in our bodies over years and affect our health negatively. So can we talk about the buildup of the chemicals in the environment, or do they build up, or do they dissipate, or how does that all work? They definitely can build up, and I think Daria had mentioned this earlier. One thing that we're really concerned about in multiple of these underserved communities is the cumulative impact of these chemicals. So over many, many years, what has happened is industry has sort of built up multiple facilities in the same location, um, and which contain multiple different chemicals that are known to be hazardous to human health, or produce air pollutants that are hazardous to human health. So Cancer Alley is probably the you know, most well-known example um, in Louisiana, where folks there are um, who live near uh, or in this area are at heightened risk of cancer, heart attack, asthma, other health effects. So they, that way, I wouldn't say they build up sort of over time in the environment, but you can have multiple different chemicals that have multiple health effects, and we really don't fully understand how those cumulative impacts sort of all work together to impact somebody's health. And it's really scary, too, that we don't know that we have gotten rid of them when we think we have, and we don't know if they can ever be gotten rid of. Uh, But there are some examples, like uh, I remember um, Atlantic Station, which was this big rail switching yard. And with a lot of steel effects there. And they were able to, it, it took a long time and it took all oh, gobs of money, <laughs> but they were able to, I guess, clean it up enough that it is now one of the hot spots in Atlanta where it's, you know, mixed use, residential, many t- different types of residential as well as, as well as shopping. But I imagine that that's a big un- undertaking. Absolutely. And some of these sites, like some of the super fun sites that I've been talking about on this call, they can take literally decades to get cleaned up, get to a point where they are no longer considered dangerous to human health. But even then, what we're finding is that there can be some residual chemicals left in the soil um, that can result in sort of volatilization, so gaseous 
compounds coming up later that can still impact human health. And so, yeah, it, it, it is a hard and long process that costs a lot of money. For which there's still a lot of unknowns. And, and the other thing I want to have you talk to us about, Jacob, is to kind of flip the switch. We've been talking a lot about how the uh, environmental toxins and materials uh, impact the environment and climate. So I want to talk a, a minute about how might or how is climate change and or environmental factors affecting the toxicity of chemicals or affecting chemicals at all? Well, I think like what we've been talking about, you know, these environmental effects, especially of climate change, can end up washing chemicals into people's backyards that weren't there before. There may be chemicals in groundwater where sea level rise intrusion into that groundwater leads to chemicals being introduced into a higher soil profile than we hadn't had before. So you may have areas that become affected with toxic chemicals, become contaminated, that weren't contaminated before. Indeed. Are we seeing any incidences of of the chemicals themselves becoming more dangerous, more toxic? Are we seeing climate change have an effect on the chemicals themselves? Not to my my knowledge. Um, You can certainly have wildfires that come through facilities with hazardous chemicals, and then they produce a gaseous compound that you know, spread, and the, the chemical can change in that way and sort of reach uh, a, a more, a, a larger area and put more people at risk. But in terms of making chemicals more toxic, I'm just not aware of any research um, showing that. Okay, I want to get Daria weigh in on that one for a minute. Yeah, just to add, like Jacob said, I'm also not aware of climate change, you know, making certain chemicals more toxic. But one thing to also consider is, you know, when there are chemical disasters that, um, Chemicals can mix together and form um, an impact that is more dangerous than if you were exposed to those chemicals individually. We call that synergistic effects. So um, the way in which those chemicals interact can actually cause them to be more harmful to you if you're exposed to them, particularly during a disaster situation. And then, Lynn, we want to go to you. You want to weigh in on that? Yes. um, One study showed that um, in the winter months, there was more drugs in toxic uh, drugs in the drinking water because it was colder. I believe the study was done in Missouri, and it was because the warmer weather speeds up the enzymes and the process to break down those chemicals. Now, Lynn, are there any statistics out there, or what are you seeing, uh, about the impact of these chemical toxins and environmental toxins on our immune systems? I know you talked about it a little bit, but I want to really focus in on that because that is, seems to be such a prevalent thing these days. We have one of the largest um, researchers on our university that I, I partner with. Um, they look at Gulf War syndrome and also chronic fatigue syndrome, and absolutely their immune systems are decimated by toxins and also from um, viruses and things. So certain things, like for instance, when you have a a heavy metal toxicity, mold seems to, um, and and, uh, fungus seem to like to grow in that more environment. Um, So we we see all sorts of different implications of what 
uh, the pollution is doing that's in our environment to the body. And like I said, uh, to see so many young people with all these autoimmune conditions, uh, it's frightening to me because I, I remember um, in 1982, when I was just a young pharmacist, uh, I had two patients with type two diabetes and they were in their seventies. And now there's so many people in their twenties and thirties with uh, that on medications. And it's yeah. really mind blowing. Is, is there, do you know, or any of you all know of any research that's being done though on the higher incidence of immune autoimmune issues as well as other diseases and illnesses among young people today. And, and it seems to me it is probably a, um, a normal manifestation because they were exposed at, to many, 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 many more chemicals and other stuff at their age, at, at the respective ages than perhaps others were. Because it goes back to how we talked about how many chemicals were in the, uh, being produced and things like that. I guess it also addresses why they are and should continue to be so active in environmental advocacy because they're they're catching the brunt of it. One big uh, chemical that's been a concern um, in terms of immune response is the PFAS chemicals, uh, which we call forever chemicals. There was some evidence showing that it might impact uh, your body's ability to respond to a vaccine, which was, of course, of concern um, with the COVID pandemic and, and the vaccines. Um, that we have access to. So um, there are certain chemicals that can um, sort of inhibit your body's ability to sort of have a mountain immune response to a virus. Indeed. And we only have a couple of minutes to go. So I'm going to jump back to Lynn real quick and, and then go around. Uh, Lynn, what in, from your perspective, what can ordinary people do in their everyday lives to help drive solutions to these issues and protect themselves? Well, one of the things we recommend is I say go get some glass water bottles or, um, you know, I say there's a, one grocery store that they have water, sparkling water and glass and recycle it. Get yourself a good uh, system um, to invest in a good system, which more and more of my patients are of water filtration um, at, the, at the side of their house, you know, big spending a lot of money for water filtration systems. Um, also, you know, not cooking in plastics or warming plastics. Like I said, they found when uh, water bottles, plastic water bottles got warm, uh, the nanoparticles of plastic were there. And then also the detoxification. So anytime you're eating organic, because organic, you're not got chemicals on them or they shouldn't, um, you're any fruits and vegetables, those things give you the vitamins and other nutrients to detoxify. Indeed. Thank you, Lynn. And Daria, last word. What can ordinary people do in their everyday lives to help drive solutions? Yeah. So one thing that folks can do is, uh, which specifically with individual chemical exposures, is uh, look into resources that advocates have done, done the heavy lifting on the research about specific chemicals and, and provided it in a way that's easily understandable. So the Environmental Working Group in particular has a ton of resources, um, including a great app called Skin Deep that you can use and look at different cosmetic or personal care products and see how they might impact your health. And, and they have, you know, with various food products and others. Um, so definitely check them out. It's a great and easy to use resource. Thank you. Thank you. And Jacob, we want to thank you for being with us. Daria, 
We want to thank you for being with us. And Lynn, thank you. And we are looking forward to talking with you all uh, much more on Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio in the future. Because the whole area we didn't get to talk about I wanted to touch upon, and that was the chemicals in our cosmetics. There's a lot out there. Thank you. And we thank these wonderful people for helping us uh, explore this a little bit today. And thank you, listeners, for listening in today to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio. The conversation starts here, but our goal is for it to continue in our home, in your social circles, workplaces, at the water cooler, and in the grocery checkout line, so that we can all work together to realize that healthy living is simply not possible without a healthy planet. Our culture is a result of a trillion tiny acts taken by billions of people every day like yourselves. And each of those tiny acts can seem insignificant, but all of them add up, one way or the other, to the change that we each live through. This is your host, Bernice Butler. Thank you again, and join us again next week for more Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio as we begin to look at food production and agriculture and its effect on our health and how our health proceeds. Thank you.